let's all stand together at this time and we're going to look at a message I call family resemblance out of John chapter 8. John chapter 8 verse 37 Jesus said I know that you're Abraham's seed that you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him Abraham is our father and Jesus said unto them if you were Abraham's children you would do the works of Abraham. Now you seek to kill me, a man who hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then they say to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil, and the works of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth my words, uh, heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> John chapter 8 contains an epic confrontation that was going on between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day very famously began with the incident with a woman taken in adultery, caught, as it were, in the very act. The men who brought her to Jesus, demanding that Moses, under the law, required that she be stoned. What do you say? Jesus said, let him that cast the first stone, or let him that sins not cast the first stone. And the Bible says, from the oldest down to the youngest, uh, they all left. They didn't want to be around Jesus anymore for a while, but it wasn't long before things picked back up again. And the confrontation is ongoing, and we'll see it go on all through uh, this chapter. Um, it's going to deal with the subject of uh, parentage, fatherhood, or as I called it, uh, family resemblance. Uh, most of us at some point in time have pointed out uh, that someone close to us is uh, just like their mom. You're just like your mom. Or you're just like your dad. Sometimes we say it like this. You're just like your mother. <laughs> you're just like your father. Uh, generally, things don't go very well after we say that, by the way. Uh, you can say that, but uh, it's not going to... Be helpful. <laughs> uh, don't ask me how I know that. Okay, I just—it's not—it's uh, not going to be helpful. Um, in other ways, other settings, you know, when a baby's born, one of the first things we try to do is look at that little face and figure out who they look like, and uh, which one of the family, which side of the family. Well, he's got his mom's. He's got his. Uh, mom's ears. He's got his dad's eyes. It, you know, we say it all the time. Well, he looks like someone. He looks like this one. He family resemblance. 
we see it when uh, we see uh, siblings together and, and uh, we say, oh, I don't, I don't know you, but you have got to be related to so-and-so. you just got to be. Uh, the issue of, of parentage in our day is, as far as biological fatherhood is concerned, is easily settled uh, by a simple DNA test. And, uh, but for generations, you have to understand, it was not that way in the world. And uh, a person's fatherhood uh, could sometimes be called into question. Uh, in another time, in another world, it was not uncommon to... Uh, have people have to face the issue of legitimacy and some who were declared to be illegitimate. And you even find that language in Scripture uh, because God said if a person be without chastening, without chastisement, uh, then the Bible says you're bastards, not sons, an illegitimate child. Uh, yes, that language was employed. Very strong language. We don't uh, hear that much anymore. In fact, we're more inclined these days to talk about illegitimate parents. And I've heard it said there are no illegitimate children, just illegitimate parents. Uh, but the fact is, you know, the whole issue of who a, a child's father is is, is not going to be left in doubt anymore. It's not settled by whether your parents were married or not. Uh, just that simple blood test. Uh, tells it all. It's a marvelous thing that we have these days. Not all technology is bad. And that's a good one. In Jesus' day, such things were unknown. And it's interesting that in our passage, the subject that came up was parentage. You see it in what they said to Jesus as they were going along in their discussion. And they said, we were not born of fornication. Don't you know they liked that one? What were they throwing at Jesus? A very common accusation, obviously. Uh, his parents, earthly parents, were not married when Jesus was conceived. Was that story told again and again against Jesus? Oh, yes. Was it well known? Yes. Was uh, the claim made, obviously, in their perspective, that Jesus was born of a virgin? Yes, yes, we know that. Uh, we know that Jesus' real father is Father God. We know that. But they called all that into question, and all of that is going on in this discussion. As the Jews then began to look back and claim Abraham as our father, they were doing this in response to something Jesus had said. In verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they responded, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou you shall be made free? And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, we might find it odd that the Jews would say we've never been in bondage to any man, especially since uh, it was a Roman king who sat on the throne at that time, and they were very much nationally in bondage to the Romans. Uh, before them were 
uh, were the Greeks and uh, before them were the Babylonians. They'd gone from one to another to another to another, the Babylonians to the Assyrians to the Greeks to the Romans, uh, and Daniel told them all about it uh, long ago, long before it happened. Daniel prophesied about all of it, about all those kingdoms uh, that would rule over the land of Israel. But they weren't thinking about their nation. They were thinking about themselves personally. Uh, they were not slaves. Uh, they were freeborn. Now, thankfully, slavery is something that in modern America we have to explain uh, because it's not a, a reality that we live in. And thank God for that. Uh, that issue was settled at a great price in this country, but thank God it was settled. Uh, but if you were born a slave, for the most part, you would die a slave. But that wasn't only true of you. That was true of your children. If your children were born to you as a slave, then they would live their lifetime in bondage as slaves. It was no small thing then to be born free. To be born free was a position of privilege. And that's exactly what it was called. And on one hand, you were born a slave. On another hand, you were born a privileged birth. And that simply means that you were born free. And I'm glad to be able to say tonight that by the historical definition of privilege, every citizen of this great country has been born privileged. They were born free. They're not born in bondage. They're not born as slaves. And they have the right, the freedom, to choose what they'll decide to do with their life and to make of themselves, for the most part, what they would like to make privileged and that was a privilege they did not take lightly and so they bristled when Jesus told them that if the son shall make you free you shall be free indeed what they said we're not in bondage we're not slaves we've never been slaves but Jesus took issue with that uh, because he said whosoever committeth sin is a slave of sin they were in bondage uh, of, the, of the worst kind a spiritual bondage and as I'm thankful and grateful tonight to be able to say that slavery, as far as physical slavery is concerned, has been abolished in this country. And no one is born a slave. And no one will live their life as a slave. And no one will die as a slave in this country. But I can't say that's the case spiritually. Because spiritually many live their lives right now in bondage to sin. We see it with those who are struggling with addictions. But the fact is that any sin has a capability of bringing us into slavery. And Jesus said that when we commit sin and continually commit sin, then we make ourselves the servants of sin. And it is against that background then that Jesus said, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Oh, may God help us tonight to recognize and live out the privileges of our birth in Jesus Christ. Because we don't have to live our life in bondage to sin. Now, as we move on then to think about these people and their physical identity. They went from that understanding. Okay, we're not slaves. But then they went from that to their standing, their status in Abraham and claiming Abraham as our father. But when they said that, Jesus said, now wait a minute. You're, you don't act like Abraham. 
And the reason that he brought up for why that was true was because, of course, they were trying to kill him. He had come to them from God. You follow Jesus' response. It's a masterful argument. Abraham, you see, received those angelic messages from God. The Lord came to Abraham. The Jehovah angel came to Abraham. How did Abraham treat him? Did he try to kill him? <laughs> no. He fed him meals, baked him that bread that we talked about this morning. Sarah baked that three measures of meal, fed him a feast. He didn't try to kill those angelic messengers. He listened to them. He followed their words. And so Jesus' logic obviously is impeccable. He says, you claim to be Abraham's seed. You claim to be followers, descendants, children of Abraham. But you don't do the works of Abraham. Now they were Abraham's physical descendants. That's true. But in this case, it wasn't just what they looked like, but how they lived, what they were doing, and most importantly, how they were responding to the one who came to them as the seed of Abraham, Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. Jesus concluded then that their actions, the way they were living, the way they were treating him, was proof that they had another father, the devil. That is a powerful statement. That I stand before you tonight to be able to repeat on the authority of Jesus Christ himself that the devil is a father and that he has children, spiritual children in this world today. We all know what that means. In my blood beats the in my veins beats the blood of my father. And uh, the blood of my father, therefore, now beats in the, in the veins of my children. Uh, the blood of a hundred fathers, or perhaps a thousand before. And who knows how many beyond? Only God knows. And though it's unknown to us, and it's not something we think about a whole lot, uh, but to the Jews of Bible times, they were obsessed with their ancestors, who their father was, and uh, where they came from, what their tribal, that was crucial to them. Every Jewish boy was required to learn the names of his ancestors and to be able to recite them all the way back to Abraham. Abraham is my father. I can prove it. I can recite my lineage all the way back. Well, we're pretty much a dispossessed people. <laughs> uh, we've left our country and our heritage, whatever it was, and most of you are, are probably a lot like me. I, I'm a little bit Scottish, and I'm a little bit Native American, and I'm a little bit who all else knows what all else. I honestly don't know. And I really don't spend a lot of time worrying about it. But it wasn't that way to the Jews when they talked about having Abraham as their father. That was so crucial to them, so big to them, huge. But Jesus just cuts that off. He says, you're not the descendants of Abraham at all. Even worse, you're of your father, the devil. Do you understand a little bit more now why I call this an epic confrontation? 
it's hard for us, I think, to read this passage without feeling the intensity of the emotions that had to be going on. You're of your father, the devil. We're not born of fornication. Abraham is our father. Oh. It brings up an interesting point. Is God our father? Who's our father? Well, we could put, perhaps look tonight at how Jesus substantiated his charges against them to, to show them conclusively that in fact God was not their father. Abraham was not their father. They were of their father, the devil. And he gives them several ways they could know that. First of all, we see what, he, what I'll call the love test. And that speaks of their affections. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. If you were of my father, you would love me. Crucial test is the affection test. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And those people in the world all around us who do not love Jesus have a very simple reason why that they don't love Jesus. God is not their father. Now you remember the time when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked him whether it was lawful or not to pay taxes. You remember that? They were bringing up a legitimate point in their way of thinking and perhaps in our way of thinking as well because after all, the Roman government was despotic, terrible. Violent, evil. The leaders were evil. What they were doing with the money was evil. And so the Jews could rightly argue that we're paying taxes, we're giving our money to this evil, Gentile, God-hating, violent government. And they're using it to do things that we know are absolutely wrong. Is it lawful then to pay taxes unto Caesar? It's a good question. You remember how Jesus answered it? Give me a denarii, a coin. Whose image is on it? Caesar's. <laughs> so he said what? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But that wasn't the important point. That's how he answered their question. But then he told them something that they didn't ask. But they needed to hear. Render unto Caesar, they said, the things that are Caesar's. And unto God, the things that are God's. You see, who bears the image of God? We do. We look in the mirror. Whose image do you see? Well, it looks just like me. <laughs> yeah, but the Bible says we are created in the image of God. And you see, that's the big thing that he told them. Render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give God what belongs to him, us. In that sense, we can look out over the whole of humanity and say that they belong to God by virtue of the fact that he created them and that they bear his image. Oh, but sin has so horribly, horribly distorted that image. And it is only through the redemption in Jesus Christ 
that that image of God can be restored. It is only as we are in Christ and Christ is in us and the Spirit of God lives in us and works in us and moves in us that once again then we are able to give glory to the image of God whose image we bear. You see, though God has created all of humanity and all of humanity was created in His image, In that sense, all of humanity bears that image of the Father. But all of humanity is not His children. We're only His children when we have received Jesus Christ as our Savior. When we receive Him then as our Savior, we have God then as our Father. That relationship with God is restored. That's what the Bible says. He has reconciled us. Unto God, And he has committed unto us then as his children the ministry of his rec- of reconciliation so that Christ through us is imploring, pleading with the world around us. Be reconciled to God. Why? Because sin has separated us from our Father. And only the reconciliation that is through Jesus Christ can restore that. No wonder Jesus said of God, were your Father, you'd love me. There can't be any other connection. Without Jesus Christ, you see, there is no family connection to God. We can't bypass Jesus and claim to be of God. That's not a politically correct thing to say today. But it's a biblically correct thing to say. Because Jesus said it. If you were of my father, if God were your father, you would love me. So we call that the affection test, the love test. And he knew that God was not their father because they did not love him. Then there's what we call the comprehension test, the word test. Verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. There's not a man in this building tonight that hasn't occasionally been told, um, you had not heard a thing I said. In fact, sometimes I could almost stand up here and say that. You know, y'all hadn't heard a thing I said. Uh, Jesus here describes the people who were not able to listen. It wasn't that they couldn't hear. It wasn't that they were hard of hearing. No, it was that they were dull of hearing. Why couldn't they hear his word? Why could not they understand what Jesus was saying? It goes back to the same point. Because God was not their father. Paul would elaborate on this later when he would say the natural man receives not the things of God but they are foolishness unto him. He would talk about the gospel and how that the Greeks declared it foolishness. How the Jews were offended by the cross. Why? Because they don't have a relationship with God. That person who has no comprehension of biblical truth, no understanding of biblical truth, is betraying the fact that God is simply not their father. If God was their father, the Holy Spirit would live in them. And the Holy Spirit's the one who wrote this book. (laughs) So when we start reading the Bible, we are reading the book that he wrote. If you ever struggle understanding it, have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you wrote this thing. And I sure do need some understanding. It's amazing. How the Holy Spirit will enlighten you if you'll just ask Him to. Give you understanding. 
comprehension then of biblical truth uh, is a sign, an evidence that a person has indeed had God as their father. That lack of ability to understand the things of God shows that God is not a person's father. If you follow social media very much, if you listen to what people say, if you watch the media very much, Hollywood types, from time to time, some issue comes up, like the immigration issue from a couple of weeks ago, and all of a sudden we start seeing people throw Bible verses around. Did you see some of that? And you know, it never ceases to amaze me how that people who don't know God at all or able to do a Google search, pull up a passage of scripture and start throwing it around like they know what it... And so many times it's completely, completely divorced from its context. And the way that it's used then is it, completely in error. Uh, people have no understanding really of what the Bible says. And they betray that. What does that mean when the word of God is incomprehensible to them? means that God is not their father. Why do you not understand my speech, Jesus said? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Then he brings up the works test. And that speaks of their inclination in verse 44 through 46. Probably the most famous passage of them all. You have of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Oh, I could preach a whole sermon just on this. In fact, I have. <laughs> May again. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's incredible things that Jesus has to say. Uh, he tells us that the devil is a murderer. And he was a murderer from the very beginning. Uh, that what the devil wants to do is kill and to destroy. And the interesting thing is, he says, You're of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. Every child wants to please his father. Every child wants the affirmation and in fact needs the affirmation of his father. And that's exactly what Jesus said. What the devil wants is what you want. You want what he wants. That was proved by the fact that they were out to kill him, of course. He goes on to say that he's a liar and there's no truth in him. Mark Twain famously said that a lie can run around the world while the truth is tying on its shoes. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed the propensity, the inclination of humanity to believe lies? Of course you have. There is something about us that makes us, humanity as a whole I'm talking about, that makes us inclined to believe lies. They're a whole lot more fun than the truth. And I'm telling you what, it's so hard in our world and our culture today to figure out what is a lie and what's the truth. So much fake news. <laughs> so much that's real news, but it's called fake news. I, I tell you, it's tough trying to ferret out the truth this day and time. But let me tell you something about lies. When Jesus reminds us that the devil is the father of lies, he's reminding us that every lie ever told is one of the devil's kids. And he loves them just like we love our kids. 
If he's the father of lies, then lies are his kids. And you'll find that out when you pick out a lie one of these days and start trying to stamp it out with the truth. You'll find opposition. I've had people hate me for telling them the truth and pointing out that they had believed a lie or been told a lie or been caught up in a lie. You'll fight spiritual warfare in a way that you never were inclined to believe it would happen. But there's something about humanity that once they've bought into a lie that they'll hold on to it so tenaciously. Part of that's just the devil's work. Jesus goes on and says, Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. He issued a challenge. Which of you convicts me of sin? (laughs) I wouldn't issue that challenge to my wife, Nancy. I wouldn't issue that challenge to my kids, to my best friends. Because the people who know me best, obviously, can convict me of some sin. They've all seen me mess up from time to time, lose my temper, say something I shouldn't say. That's true of all of us. The people who know us best. But then Jesus is dealing with his enemies. Bring some sin up against me and accuse me of it. Make it stick. What a challenge that is. And the fact is, not one of them could bring up a simple thing. Not a single thing to convict Jesus with. And since that was the case, and they knew that what he said was true, Why do you not believe me? Well, because they were of their father, the devil. And they were caught up in doing what the devil wanted them to do. From time to time, you and I wonder why the gospel can be preached in power and and people reject it. Why you can share the truth of scripture. Somebody says no. Invite people to church. No, not interested. Try to talk to them about the gospel. No, I don't have time. Don't Don't want to hear it. Why? It's the message of salvation, the message of eternal life, the one thing that people need more than anything else. Why? Won't they listen? I'll tell you why. It's exactly what Jesus said here. They're of their father, the devil. And they're caught up in doing what he wants them to do. And therefore, they don't listen to the truth. Last test that he gives is the hearing test. And that speaks of application. He who is of God... Hears God's word, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. He told them the truth, they rejected it, and that is the final proof that they were not God's children, and that is simply they were not living in accordance with God's truth. Not at all. Not at all. It wasn't in their life at all. I wonder if God ever looks at us and says, You're acting just like your father. I certainly hope so. Because that's a big part of what being a disciple of Jesus Christ is all about. Becoming more like Him. Living more like our Father would want us to live. Jesus gave us a simple example of that. When He taught us to be good to those who do us harm. To return not evil for evil, but instead return good for evil. Because He said, when you do that, you'll be like your Father. Who makes his son, his son to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain 
on the just and the unjust. One of the ways that we can be like God is being nice to people who aren't nice to us back. Being good to people who are our enemies or, 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 or showing love to people who hate us. We can be like God. Our spiritual father takes precedence in our life, not because of our first birth, but because then of our second birth. When it comes to our spiritual heritage, the issue can be sometimes complicated. When a person claims that God is their father, but they're living like the devil. It makes us wonder who they really know. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to close out tonight uh, just by reminding us of a little bit about those people that Jesus was arguing with. Uh, these people were as faithful to the requirements of the law as far as their attendance and worship service was concerned as anybody could be. If the law required them to be in the temple on the Sabbath, they were there. They didn't miss. Of course, the law also forbid them from traveling more than just a couple of miles on the Sabbath, so it wasn't like they could jump in their car and go to Heber or wherever. Couldn't do that. They didn't do that either. Law required them to pay tithes. How serious were they about that? Jesus said, you pay tithes of mint and cumin. Mint, as you know, we're not familiar with cumin, perhaps, but we are familiar with mint. It's a herb, and it grows out in the yard. It can be planted, and it grows, and it just keeps on growing and growing and growing. It stays around for a long time. My grandmother had it growing in her flower beds. I love to just pick it up and chew on it. Uh, it's like getting double mint gum for free for just a second. And then the bitterness kind of hit behind it, and it, but it, just for a second, you know, it, uh, it was good. And, some of you are probably going to tell me after church it was poison. That might be why I ended up like I am. I don't know. But uh, I imagine that Jew out there in his yard counting the mint plants that grew up. <laughs> just kind of volunteer. Once you get them started, they just keep going. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's the Lord's. They paid tithes on their mint. I mean, they went to church all the time. They prayed. They prayed long prayers. They played in public. They gave alms. They helped people. They... And yet Jesus said, <coughs> unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't go to heaven. Why? Because their righteousness was self-righteousness. It was based on their own good things that they could do to please God. And it was not the righteousness which is of God by faith. It wasn't so much that we have to do more than the Pharisees did to get to heaven. That wasn't what Jesus said. 
Instead, it was that our righteousness has to be of a different quality. Our righteousness must be the imputed righteousness. That righteousness comes to us by faith when Jesus Christ and His righteousness is placed on us. And what He did for us on Calvary when He died on the cross for your sins and mine then pays the penalty for our sins, but it does more. It gives us all of His righteousness so that God sees us. Not uh, in our sins, not in our works, but He sees us as a finished product of Jesus Christ and His love to us. That, you see, is how we have God as our Father. I ask you tonight, is God your father? If he's not, the devil is. Choose. Let's stand together.